I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Metal Gear Solid. With me are longtime friends of the show, Toby Jungius. It's just like one of my Japanese animes. <laughs> and Derek Witchy. Hello, everybody. And tonight we are discussing one of the most venerated of sacred cows in gaming history, a title whose influence cannot be disputed, Metal Gear Solid. This is the 1998 PlayStation 1 game, although the one I played was the 2004 GameCube remake by Silicon Knights, The Twin Snakes. That way we could give you an overview of the original and the refined version, even though some series fans hate that second version. I like it, and I wanted to revisit it, same as when we covered the Resident Evil 1 and 2 remakes. I wanted to give you guys a a range. The premise, for those who never got the chance to play this original one, is that in the far-off future year of 2005, a renegade genetically enhanced Special Forces unit, Foxhound, has seized a remote island in Alaska's Fox Archipelago, codenamed Shadow Moses. The site of a nuclear weapons disposal facility, Foxhound threatens to use the nuclear-capable mech Metal Gear Rex against the US government if they do not receive the remains of Big Boss and the ransom of one billion dollars. Hang on, everybody. One billion dollars in <laughs> 2005 bucks within 24 hours. Solid Snake is forced out of retirement, Rambo-style, by Colonel Roy Campbell, Troutman-style, to infiltrate the island, Snake Eyes-style, and neutralise the threat. What this entails is a 10-hour top-down stealth game, one that encourages a fairly astonishing level of diverse playstyles as you are tested in each gadget and get to play around with them and experiment. Every time you reach a new room or scenario, you are contacted by your support team on your codec radio concealed in your inner ear. Snake then takes orders, asks questions, has a brain-busting amount of stuff explained to him, flirts, goofs around, smokes, and catches a cold. As he works through the facility, he takes on ostentatious and outlandish bosses, all of whom seem to place a lot of stock in finally being able to match him in single combat. And at the end, he takes on his evil twin brother, Liquid Snake. Brother! There definitely is a resemblance, wouldn't you say, brother? And the giant walking tank Metal Gear Rex. Along the way, he makes two major allies within Shadow Moses itself. Hal Emmerich, otaku computer nerd, and passionate rookie commando Meryl Silverberg, who is attempting her own undercover infiltration. I think it's hard to adequately express what a big deal this game was in 1998. It was anticipated, but in an abstract way, because the only existing games in the series at the time were obscure and 11 and 8 years old, respectively, confined to the 8-bit MSX Microsoft computer system popular in Japan. There was also the unofficial Snake's Revenge on the NES, but this meant the series had effectively bypassed the 16-bit era altogether, not appearing on the Mega Drive or the SNES, and there was nothing planned for the recently released Nintendo 64 either. This was effectively like Solid Snake himself, a ghost being brought out of retirement to show what it could do. 
and the creator of the series, Hideo Kojima, is kind of a demigod among gaming circles, deeply respected for the way he directs his games, his meta style, especially for the era. Remember, the 90s was a time when everything was played super straight, and for the way he could grab you unexpectedly by the emotions. Development for Metal Gear Solid began in mid-1995 with the intention of creating the best PlayStation game ever. Developers aimed for accuracy and realism while making the game enjoyable and tense. In the early stages of development, the Huntington Beach SWAT team educated the creators with the demonstration of vehicles, weapons and explosives. Weapons expert Madosa Mori was also tapped as technical advisor in the research which included visits to Fort Irwin and firing sessions at Stembridge gun rentals. Kojima stated that if the player isn't tricked into believing that the world is real, then there's no point in making the game at all. To fulfill <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like it was real? We'll answer that uh, in a bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> To fulfill this, adjustments were made to every detail, such as individually designing desks. Metal Gear Solid was critically acclaimed, getting 93% and 94 out of 100 aggregate at rating websites, gaming rankings, and Metacritic, respectively. The review at PlayStation Magazine declared it the best game ever made, unputdownable and unforgettable. The review by IGN opined Metal Gear Solid came closer to perfection than any other game in PlayStation's action genre and called it beautiful, engrossing and innovative in every conceivable category. Computer and video games compared it to playing a big budget action blockbuster only better. Well now, more than two decades later, in fact we're recording this just days after the 20th anniversary of its European release, which is the uh, 26th of February 1999, we three here, having played the game again recently to pick through the bones of Shadow Moses, now walk the echoing hallways once more and hopefully we will not stumble down any trapdoors along the way. We're not going to leave it unbruised, folks. There will be some problems, and some of us will have felt them more than others. But I believe that Snake will still be able to walk out of here with his classic status intact, because bear in mind, folks, no retrospective review can rob it of that hard-earned accolade. So first off... I'm sure I'll have enough rations to make through it anyway, even with all the damage. (laughs) (laughs) That was a ration sound, folks. (laughs) Uh, First up, let's talk about presentation, because I struggle to think of a game series that seems quite so proud to be meticulously delivering itself to you. So when you you first start the game, there's there's a lengthy kind of cutscene showing the whole submarine infiltration... But that's not even really the beginning of the game. You couldn't like did it did you guys back in oh, actually I suppose Toby, how old are you? I am twenty four. Okay. So, so guess relatively recently. That you you didn't play this age four. <laughs> no, I did not. I was uh, we were all part of a Nintendo household. The first I had heard of Metal Gear Solid or Snake was when I saw the Reveal trailer for Smash Brothers Brawl on the Wii. Um, oh, had, and you're like, who's no this idea. Fella? Yeah, I was just like, okay, I presume he's a Nintendo character because that's just how these series work. But then later on, when like Sonic joined, I then heard, oh, so Snake is not who? Who is this guy? And then slowly and surely, I just became more and more fascinated by the series and. Relatively recently, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I have this old PS3. Is it on, I can download it. Ooh, interesting. And 
the Twin Snakes was on my on my shelf for ages. I just knew I would get to it, and I did play Metal Gear One and Metal Gear Two on the um, PS3 collection. It has those two and two three and peace walker but not one for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and um yeah it was just such a strange experience and i did uh i'm aware i've derailed this somewhat but to return it to your original question i did watch the briefing and i really enjoy that as a way as an optional way for you to get started Mm -hmm. i found that like a lot of the elements that I, admire, I that I admire in this game, even 20 years later, found very immersive is the option to have this meticulous briefing video that even has the timestamp kind of worked out and you can work out where each section lined up one after the other. Mm. And Derek, did you, uh, um, like, did, when you started the, I mean, you're, how old are you? I, I'm 37, so I okay. was, I oh, was there day and date when it first came out on the PlayStation 1 mm. and uh, I I remember looking forward to it for a long time although oddly enough I can't tell you why, I think it's because it was so different, mm. so absolutely different and also I suspect there was a, if I remember there was a demo disc which a version of International Superstar Soccer, mm. if my memory serves me correctly and yeah. I think I had a wee shot of that and I was sitting there going, I don't know what to make of this, I just know that I like it Mm-hmm. So from then on, it was just a case of waiting for the main game to be released. Yeah. It's it's a game that uh, says, oh, okay, right, sit down. We're going to tell you about some stuff. And when you can play it, we'll let you know. But until that point, pay attention. And that can be infuriating and it can be really immersive. And especially, I, I wonder how much patience kids would have now. Because um, when you're going around in something like Bioshock, and even that's 13 years old at the time of this edit... Uh, but if uh, since Bioshock, it's, there's been a lot of um, audio logs that play for you while you're playing. And, uh, you know, when you talk to people, it tends to be during very cinematic cutscenes and you're talking into your uh, codec or you're uh, talking with them one-to-one. The whole stopping, being told about something, especially over a very static screen of back-and-forth and back-and-forth text... Uh, it is. Uh, it feels like that's that's the part of the bygone age that is most about this game now. It's, mm. it's also the bit that I kind of miss mm-hmm. because we've moved. I think due to the nature of the genre itself, we've moved a lot more towards interactive storytelling, which I like. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of telling a story through an environment and telling it through the what you can see in front of you. But we've also done a lot of things like audio logs, which you can listen to while you wander about, which is fine. But a lot of the time you end up not listening to it because you're halfway through a pitch battle and you've got somebody droning on in the background. Kojima always had a very central idea about how he wanted to present his Metal Gear series. Mm. You sit down, you pay attention. It might not make any sense. You might get to the end and you still don't have a clue what's happening. But he knew how he wanted to present it. And... It's something that I kind of miss a little bit because there's a big push towards everything has to be, you have to be doing something as well as learning something in a lot of ways now. The Mm. overall impression I got of it was uh, like an American football game where to play properly, the players had to keep stopping, regrouping, Mm -hmm. discussing what they're going to do next and then play for a bit. So it's like play for a bit. Nope, wait, stop. 
we've got like there's a stinger missile bit coming up here we've got to explain to you what the stinger missiles yeah. do <laughs> and uh, i think that uh, works absolutely at its best for your first playthrough because when you're getting into the game you kind of need you need that stuff that is like so much of the texture of the game is to have these things explained to you by people so that you can feel more than just that it's a collection of polygons. Mm-hmm. Having played through for the first time relatively recently, I can definitely confirm that I wanted to try and minimize the amount of times where I look up a walkthrough for the game because mm. I thought that the game did a very good job of almost giving you a walkthrough, but it mixes up the chapters. So you have to work out mm. if I'm in a boss encounter or I'm stuck. It's not always a, it's not always like hitting like the navi button in Ocarina of Time. It's not just one person that you can call. Mm-hmm. It's a series of people, and you have to think to yourself, who might know about this? Well, uh, Natasha might know about this because of her uh, knowledge of weapons, or Otacon might know about this, or the Colonel might know. You just it asks you to engage with the environment around you and think about in a real world setting if you had the phone the friend option who would your friend be mm. yeah mm. and yet it never stopped understanding that it was a game at the same time because mm. a lot of titles would have been would try to make a real world excuse for what you're doing but this one doesn't really care. Kojima never really cared about that. He was quite happy to say at various points, press the action button to do... The colonel says, press the action button to do it. And he's like, you wouldn't say this in a briefing. This doesn't make any sense. But yeah. it didn't matter. For some reason, you, you got away with it because it all felt authentic enough mm. for it to work. And he would even, like, it almost like a the brief span of a few sentences flip from one to the other when Snake, in between torture sessions, needs to relax Naomi, says, hold the controller up to your arm, and, it's, and he's going, oh, why am I doing that? And then it rumbles, and you think, oh, that's a neat trick, and then they justify, oh, it's because I activated certain chemicals that we injected into you, and it's helping you to relax. Mm-hmm. So... The game just like combined two things and it brings it up and then abandons it, but abandons not the right word. It will dance around it with, I think, enough confidence that you never question it. Hmm. Yeah. And when it comes to uh, graphics, one of the reasons that I uh, switched to uh, Twin Snakes... So, as far as I can tell, Toby, you played through the original and sent me your upgraded copy but didn't get to play it yourself so a little while ago i did play uh twin snakes All right, okay. but for whatever or at least the first sort of part of it i think i got to the tank battle with okay. raven the first encounter vulcan raven and, giant and shaman mm, <laughs> um, <laughs> um and for whatever reason i was finding it a bit difficult to wrap my head around the controls and it wasn't so I sort of put it down and didn't was thinking I'll come back to it I'll get into it and then a couple of years went past and I saw an interesting video from and I wish I could remember it I might uh, find it after the podcast and send you the link but it is it was talking about the differences between the two versions and I found it very interesting that and I'm sure we'll go into this more but it 
I think it was something to do with how it was taking the engine of Metal Gear Solid 2 mm-hmm. and applying it to 1. And the person who made the video was arguing that the environments weren't really designed with those mechanics in mind. And Alex, yeah. you played through it recently, so you can uh, agree or disagree with that. But I thought, okay, then maybe if I try the original, then it won't be... I'm only learning what was there at the time. I'm not yeah. le- skipping a game and then doing that. And I went back and watched a few cutscenes of Twin Snakes, and I'm sure I'll play through it again <laughs> if I can get past that button-tapping sequence, but more on that later. Um, and, yeah, I I think it looks like a really... A really fascinating, I they said interesting, uh, alternate version of the same story in the same game. It's just really strange that these two versions exist so close to one another in terms of when they came out, and we still haven't got a version of it available on current current systems. It is kind of a gift for people who completed the original. It's it's probably not the best way to play it for the first time, as as you found. Uh, uh, Simple little things like the Revolver Ocelot fight, your first major boss, uh, is a guy who you're supposed to run round and round and round and uh, uh, use the corners and avoid... Uh, running into trip wires that will set off the explosives all around mm. the room. And, and if you do, he <laughs> says, you idiot! Yeah. Uh, uh, he's like, well, don't shoot me in this incredibly dangerous area. Should we go outside? Um, but, but <laughs> you take this outside? <laughs> but if you're using uh, the uh, Twin Snakes version of it, you simply switch to first-person view, and, and what you can't do in the original game is just pull up your gun, aim it at him, and shoot. So he's yeah. standing there in broad daylight, and you're just like, so I can just shoot you then okay pow and then you do it six more times and he's done and uh, it, it's the, not every uh, uh, exchange is like that not every exchange is I mean that's effectively broken yeah. they broke that part of the game I think that was I, I could be wrong I suspect I may be the only person here that's played them both through to completion at this stage yeah Oh, no, I, I played the... As in, you, you mean original. recently. I played the original through the conclusion about uh, eight times back in the day. Yeah. Because um, I... That, that was going to be the thing. Got is, a tuxedo. <laughs> very, very James Bond. Yeah. Um, the, I think that was always a complaint. They took all the mechanics around the second mm-hmm. and put them into the first, but that just made some parts of it a lot easier than it was intended to be. Yeah. Because... It's just it's just a more streamlined version of of how the character really mm. ran, moved, climbed, all that sort of stuff. And I don't think it necessarily makes it worse. It just makes it different, really. Mm. Mm. It's it's a bit like I've read that you can acquire the stealth suit from Otacon if you play the game through a certain way, mm-hmm. and that just makes the game a breeze. And it's not exactly the way that this experience should be done but it's just a different way to play around Mm. with it which i can respect that is in keeping with the toy box nature of metal gear solid though it's uh you know probably best to play through the first time in a way that's not super frustratingly challenging but on a difficulty setting that you can be be invested in Yes. Uh, and I actually was finding the, uh, the the original PlayStation version a little too frustrating because of the field of vision. I, I was running around and I was like, right, now I've just been spotted by someone just up ahead of me that 
if I was just running around in first person, I'd have been able to see him blindingly close to me. But because of this top-down view, he was just above the screen. This feels slightly unfair. And uh, eventually, I just kept getting spotted so much, even though I was... And and it was little stupid things, like I would uh, sneak under the um, camera, throw... Uh, a uh, uh, chaff grenade chaff. To, yeah. uh, to to get the camera confused. Then I would be phoned while I was under the camera, and the chaff would run out by the time I was done with the phone conversation. The camera would see me, and I'd be going, what she? And that led to another thing, which is that um, I have got ADHD and social anxiety disorder and a number of other things with letters attached to them, and I hate the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a landline. I have a mobile, but uh, most of the time I keep it in the kitchen so that I can't be bothered throughout the day. Usually whenever I get bothered, it's a canvas call. Uh, like someone will say, hello, uh, Mr. Alex Shaw, would, would you look, be interested in uh, online trading? Nope, not interested. Please stop phoning me. So, Do you reckon the codec ever gets calls like that? Mm, All the time. <laughs> I would hope that it's closed circuit, but I wouldn't put it past those cold callers. <laughs> so, uh, like, I've just, when you know what the hell you're doing and you're heading towards it and the phone rings and it won't let you ignore it, <laughs> that drove me nuts. Snake, there are mines in the area. I know! You're probably better off using the mine detector again. I know! <laughs> Leave me alone! <laughs> this is, again, the, the stop-start nature of the American football game. When you're going back in, what it effectively is, is a constant tutorial the whole way through. And I recall mm-hmm. when we did our um, Skyward Sword show, I hold that thing across the coals for telling us how to play a Zelda game for dozens of hours into a Zelda game that was definitely not our first. Mm. But I, I think, think... Sorry, you go ahead. I was going to say, I... I think it's quite interesting when you do kind of go back to it how much time you thought was plot what what was actually just exactly as you say <laughs> telling you how this. to play. Because <laughs> yeah. you have a I have had a very romantic mysticism of it's just all massive, convoluted, slightly weird plot with names about things that don't really make any sense. Yeah. There's and a lot actually, of technical jargon in there which you, makes you feel very grown up. ARC brackets, what that stands for. Yeah, Yeah. There's a lot of chat of simply, here's how you do this, and here's how you use that, and here's how you press this. And actually you go, I I thought there was a lot more, like, story in the first bit. Hmm. It does eventually kind of taper off, but it's not as quick as you first imagined it to be. And it does make me tentative about replaying the old games. I fired up Metal Gear 2 this uh, afternoon to have a a go on it, the HD version. And (laughs) it's actually, like, once, now that I've been playing uh, Twin Snakes for days on end and finished it, the original graphics uh, for the PlayStation 2 era, are they look ugly as hell. They are SD, blurry, especially during the cutscenes when like there's a lot of movement. It just it, it, There's nothing crisp about it. It's this horrible smear of grey a lot. And the original Metal Gear Solid, the faces are pretty much just a static big square head like Dr. Doak in GoldenEye. <laughs> and, uh, and everybody looks uh, very... like. There's a lot of like ha- head noddy and and big square hand wavy and they're abstract representations of people rather than people. 
Mm. But you see you... the shadow of eyes rather than the eyes themselves. But then when you play uh, the HD version of Metal Gear Solid 2, it looks gorgeous by comparison. It's really sharp and it's really responsive. And I was really enjoying it. And then it got to that bit after when, when the tanker ends and Big Shell starts, and I was just sat there waiting to be able to play the game again. <laughs> <laughs> was just, it went through lengthy cutscene after lengthy cutscene after lengthy codec chat after lengthy codec chat move six meters lengthy codec chat move four meters lengthy codec chat whoa, whoa, whoa get out of the way of these guys they're hunting for mm. you hide inside a locker then they go through like because in Metal Gear Solid 2 the alert phases are way longer and sometimes double up on themselves I'm just sat there in the locker, and I was doing what you couldn't do back in the day, which is just, fuck it, I'm going to go on Twitter. And I just sat there on Twitter waiting <laughs> for the alert phase to go down and finish. That is not the same as playing it back in the day on the PlayStation 2. I would say one thing in defense of the PS1 versions, I think that's partly why they went with as many codec moments as they do. It's because a codec the hand, moment. The hand-drawn art... I think I really like the hand-drawn art. I've got a series mm. of art books by oh, the Ashley artist. Wood. Yeah, um, mm. that's good. I think the hand-drawn the hand art is amazing throughout yeah. the series, really. And I think that's partly mm. why they used the codex as much for the talk as the cutscenes because they could emote a lot better within the codex yeah. simply mm. because of the art that they had. But it makes me, when I, when I think about going back to 2 and 3 in particular, I just wish that there was an option where it's like, I've played Metal Gear Solid before. I really do know what I'm doing. I've played this game. I've completed this game. Is it possible you can give me a dialed-back version of all the codec sequences where you only tell me stuff when I ask? Because that would be a a godsend. Like, if they're ever going to remake any of these games, that would be a real bonus to be able to play like a... uh, It it feels pared down like you're losing stuff, but what you're losing is downtime a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those part or parcel of if you remove it, do you lose what yeah. partly makes a Metal Gear game a Metal Gear yeah, game? Yeah, yeah. So much of the, well, so much of the silliness and the, uh, the the weirdness and the meta side of things is threaded through that uh, those codec conversations, and I feel like there is a way to edit that down so that you get the best of what is there mm-hmm. without them telling you here is the radar, here is. A gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that now would be a good time for such a game to come out because what it would require is someone who has familiarity with this. And for a lot of people, they've been, this has been one of their favorite games for 20 years. So yeah. Yeah. I think having maybe multiple options, one that is the full hog. And I think there is at least a little bit of options when it comes to just the vanilla original version because you can skip that initial briefing if you want to and that's about 20 to 30 minutes long so you know that is a an actual right we're going to sit you in front of the telly and i chose that the first time but the second time i went through it more recently i just skipped that because i thought well i know all of that i don't need to and to its credit it's not mandatory yeah and there's a lot like a Mass Effect game, a lot of optional conversations you can have mm. at, that you. I barely um, called Natasha like on my second playthrough, and I think I only realised close to the end of where I got up to that. 
oh, I haven't actually rung her yet because I was wondering who who's the spare yeah. source of my code? Oh call wait, her mm-hmm. other, yeah, she's one of the hidden numbers, effectively. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, I haven't played it yet. From what I understand, Metal Gear Solid Five is effectively the game you're describing because they did cut away with a lot of the. There's there's not as many cutscenes. It's not as prescribed in that mm-hmm. fashion. I don't. That's what I've heard. I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Mm. I didn't play five um, for for several reasons. I, I played Ground Zeroes, did not particularly love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I missed David Hater greatly. That leads me on to talking about David Hater in just a moment because his voice throughout the series was uh, like a soothing balm on the ears. Uh, so switching Fox in for, for Fox Die Metal Gear and just like the fact that he second could, floor basement asks so many dumb questions and at the same time you'd be like yeah yeah what, what is this you're thing a, you're a specialist agent you've trained for this what do you mean you don't know how to crawl <laughs> yeah tell me again how to crawl yeah like that's the thing I I was being told how to crawl as Raiden two and a half hours into the game and it's like I know how to crawl. <clears throat> but anyway, um, I would say don't treat me like a baby, but a baby would know how to crawl. <laughs> Good point. Um, but uh, the other thing, and this kind of ties in with the whole crawling mechanic, there's some fiddly controls for this game. And I actually made it worse for myself by going back to the GameCube version. The, the PlayStation 1, especially when, you just, when you're playing it on uh, PS3 uh, digitally, mm. Uh, is really responsive and it's really like you can just go in there and go and and just like start snapping necks as as snake and and mostly not stumble there's pressure controls for the gamecube version which mean that if you ease down on the button it will select a thing but if you jam down on the button it won't and that means when you get surprised you're like oh shit pull out the gun it doesn't pull out the gun. You've got to go very gently and press it while you're running away. And it's like you're, you're patting your head and rubbing your stomach at that point. <laughs> that is the dumbest way of botching your controls. <laughs> and uh, that I would very, like, uh, now playing it on the Xbox One, uh, Metal Gear 2, I was like, this, this is exactly how I would want it to control. It's, it's smart and responsive, and I can just click in, click out. And I'm able to rely on myself. Being able to trust Snake as opposed to feeling like he's some unruly animal that you're trying to corral. <laughs> and you're like, okay, just, I need you to, to run. Now I need you to get down on your hands and knees and crawl that way. And no, don't just fall on your face. Mm. Or, or, or like just go round and round in circles. Or just like stand up against the, the front of those... That the the lift buttons one drove me crazy so many times. I'm like, press the lift button, press the lift button. Like, it should be context sensitive. Where if you're pressing the action button and you're near the lift, it goes. Well, clearly you want to call the lift, as opposed to. But you're not actually standing in front of it. Now you're standing with your back to the lift. Now you're tapping on the wall. What like what are you doing? And it's like there's a guy coming this way. I I always tend to find the weirdest part when I first played it was okay so. I'm holding down the button to select an item. I'm pressing left, but it's not... Why is it not... Hey, what's going on here? Mm. For whatever reason, selecting an item on the left and the right um, triggers initially just caused me all sorts of confusion the yeah. first time I played the game. I was like, well, I've selected it, but how do I use it? I don't understand. What's going on here? I don't know why it caused me quite so many issues, because it's not an overly complex system, but the first time I tried it, I was all over the place. I'm pretty sure I died because I spent five minutes trying to pick a ration and I just couldn't mm. do it. Mm. 
Another thing, and I don't know whether this also affects Final Fantasy VII, I feel like it does. On the PlayStation, in, in almost every modern-day games console, the A button, the X button, the lowest button on your oh. full pad <laughs> means <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It Japanese, doesn't mean sorry, no. Japanese way of doing it. <laughs> it doesn't mean no, it means yes. On In Metal Gear Solid, the circle button, the B button, the one on the on the right means yes. So you've got to constantly be... Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, no, meaning yes. It's like you're playing in Bizarro World. It's or inverted the, controls. They yeah. bought the Japanese controls directly over. Ah. In Japan, circle is always yes. The cross is always no. They'd swapped it around for every reason when they brought over here. Mm. But I think for Metal Gear, they didn't do that. They just said, nope. We're already a convoluted game. You just figure it out yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds contrarian and and quite Kojima-ish. And symbolically, I get it because, you know, an X is a cross, so that would mean cancel or back out. And then circle is a bit like, yes, you got it right. Or, um, but it just does not work in function. It Mm. does not work in practice. However, while I did complain about the length of the uh, um, codec sequences, the cut sequences are kind of just about right, because I now have the comparison of Metal Gear Solid 4. Has, has, <laughs> I'm fairly certain at least Derek's played Metal Gear Solid 4, right? Uh, I, I spent a good 50 hours of my life watching that game. Yep. <laughs> my goodness I, gracious me. I mean, I should point out, I loved it. But that's mostly because I was so invested in this series. Yeah. I couldn't have thought of a more Metal Gear ass game to send, <laughs> to end, at the point I thought to send the series off with. Yeah. Certainly to end his storyline with, anyway. Because that thing is all the most all over the place thing I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Kojima was told, you can do whatever you want. And he said, oh, you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> They give him carte blanche. Um, uh, Toby, did you play Fall? No, um, I mean, I'm You'd going to... You'd still be playing to... it now if you start. <laughs> yeah, no, it's on in the background. Um, <laughs> I think I started a cutscene at the start of this podcast, so you know, by the time we're done, I should be able to play. It took about um, three hours just to install the damn <laughs> thing back in the day. Um, no, I will be playing it in series. I'm not sure I'll spin off into things like Peace Walker. I don't know how essential those are, but... Uh, the one I'm particularly excited to try out is three, yeah. but um, no, I, I remember watching cutscenes. There was a very funny series by the Loading Ready Run people back in the day called Unskippable, and it was on The Escapist, and it had they had a month where they just took various cutscenes from the first act and did, and they just sort of did mystery science theatre style jokes <laughs> over it, and. Each episode was about eight or nine minutes, and after the end of each episode, both they and I was asking, what, what was the point of that cutscene? <laughs> like, what was the actual information communicated across? Yeah. It, uh, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 needed an editor, seriously, because uh, it was bloated as hell. And uh, while it did have some really great uh, emotional beats in it, 
they were kind of mired down by melodrama. There, there are touches of that in the original Metal Gear Solid 1, but by comparison, the cutscenes in this and the drama moments in this are actually mostly pretty on point. It's still overblown in comparison to the average cinema experience, but it's got uh, brevity to it, which the, the fourth game lacked. And even the third game goes on a bit as well, as does the second, frankly. <laughs> Strangely, yeah. strangely enough, though, with Metal Gear Solid 1 is that for as much as the codec conversations feel bloated, there's not a lot of uh, spinning your wheels time between different moments. And whenever I think back on Metal Gear Solid 1, it's got a hell of a lot of moments. And by that, I mean, you go from iconic this is a highlight to the next highlight. You go from, Mm -hmm. okay, well, the DARPA chief just died in front of me. My next mission objective is to find Baker. That might be... Now, in Bioshock, if you're told... Usually what will happen in Bioshock is, oh, I need to get somewhere. I better go on a detour for an hour and a half before I can come back and then proceed. But in this... If you know what you're doing, you can get to the next significant point in the story slash the game in 10 minutes. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, it's it, One thing that is very much admirable about it, uh, we don't usually review video games on this show because if you think about the actual amount of allotted hours to consume a piece of media, so much of the average video game, especially the average action video game, is spent doing the same thing, which is to to kill dudes over and over again, which means that as an actual percentage, about 10% of it is story and 90% of it is mechanics. So a lot of it is you're now in this arena, make sure you kill all of these people. Whereas with Metal Gear, it doesn't make you do the same thing over and over again. It Mm. changes that repeatedly. Um, And I think the first one may be beloved as, uh, you know, and held up as a paragon in the series, Possibly because they do that with the most ease and that they, they skip from one thing to the next with the, with the minimum amount of resistance. And while there are codec conversations, the equivalent of doing what I suggested as the edited down version is just to hammer that button in between the <laughs> conversation. Just go, yes, 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 yes. It's a pain in the ass, but um, to be able to just skip straight through is, is definitely possible. You don't have to watch all the cutscenes, which is effectively what the codec conversations are. And then they're like, okay, so now at this time, you've got to watch out for, like I say, mines. Now you've got to get through this section without firing off a single shot. Now you've got to get a missile round, like a remote control missile round the corner, and there's gas and there's electricity everywhere. And it's constantly changing the game on you. And that is very much to its credit. Hmm. I think as well... It's one of the few. It's one of the first games I remember playing that attempted to humanise the people you were fighting against, Bingo. from a primary enemy perspective, not from the grunt perspective, but from because as as much as they can go on a little bit, and they certainly on the second time review, they kind of become a little bit. Can we just go on with it? <laughs> I will say I'd never seen a game at that point that I attempted to do direction and cut scenes as Kojima was doing at that time mm-hmm. nobody we all know that he, he's got a huge love for films and that comes through in the way that his cinematography works within the cutscenes himself and as much, I know the, the characters are you could only do so much with them but I remember being 
a little bit on hooks every single time there was going to be a new cutscene because at that point it was like I don't know what he's going to do here but it's just going to be mental yeah <laughs> it's, it's going to be absolutely I don't even know how this is all going to work out crazy sort of situations coming up and that, and I always felt that was a real strength that I can't ever remember a game being anywhere close to doing that at the time. Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we were an N64 household, so the only game that I can compare it to as far as beloved classic that Is Conker's people... Bad Fur Day. Oh, completely. <laughs> Cinematic, Bob. Um, <laughs> no, it's Banjo-Kazooie. Um, it's um, Ocarina of Time. Yeah. In that mm-hmm. I do remember... and. There are a couple of occasions where they do try quite... I remember the visuals of you know Ganondorf rising from the rubble and holding his fist up while his eyes are glowing. That's a very memorable moment. But th- those moments were very rare. You were talking just now, Alex, about how it's the 90% uh, gameplay, 10% story. That's, that's absolutely there. Metal Gear Solid... I was. It's bizarre for me to go back now and experience early 3D graphics games that I never played before. Because if I go back and play Ocarina or Banjo or Super Mario 64, I have the nostalgia goggles on and they're on thick. So I say, yeah, these games are beautiful. They're gorgeous when really they're cutting my eyes out. Um, but Metal Gear Solid, whether it's just that it did have graphical capability and it's one of the best looking games of that period or the fact that it was the best presented i think it is actually the cinematography and the way things are shown to you does a lot for it absolutely it's uh it's got a way of drawing the eye and uh, like there's there's a perfect example Uh, actually you mentioned the whole uh 10 versus 90 percent uh it feels like Metal Gear Solid is more like 60% story, 40% mm. gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they keep you waiting, and then you have little bursts of gameplay, and then you, you're waiting some more. So it's really all just about soaking you in the atmosphere. But there's one cinematic moment that's just ab- absurd. I mean, like, okay, most of you will be like, okay, which moment is this at? Because <laughs> yeah, there's have so many. <laughs> but it's when uh, he gets out of the cell of the DARPA chief and meets Meryl in disguise after she's broken out of her cell. There's a, like, the camera roves across to check out the surroundings as Snake sort of, you know, sneaks out, unsure of what he's doing, like a little groundhog sniffing the air. And then, like, it immediately, it latches onto some naked dude in the corner with his butt in the air, pixelated out. And and the little um, uh, dizzy uh, thing going round his head because he's been knocked out. And then immediately, like, in half a second, cuts to Meryl holding Snake at gunpoint. And it's such a weird moment of, (gasps) dude with a pixelated ass, now you've got a gun in your face. (laughs) And uh, that feels like a a Shane Black moment. You know, if you've ever sat and watched The Nice Guys, it's, it's that level of... Okay, this is not about a tough man. This is about uh, a world where the tough guy could put his fist through this glass uh, to uh, to break into this place, and then he's got to get into an ambulance and be taken to hospital because <laughs> he's now lacerated. Is is this a is this a good time to mention also vaguely creepy snake as I like to call him? I've got it uh, bullet pointed here as snake perving on women twenty one years later. So yeah, 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 got pretty a much. very cute butt. Now you're talking about my butt. And it's like, hey, your voice sounds sensual. Yeah, uh, do you want to go for your life here, Derek? Because I'll, I'll back you up on this, probably. Well, so, I mean, I'll hold my hands up. At the time, I wouldn't have seen anything wrong with it. 
I would have just gone through it and just been like, oh, this is a fairly standard trope. Looking at it now, <laughs> as much as I like, as much as I've always been a fan of Snake, his attitude to women has always been problematic when you look back over it. Partly because he seems to view them as vaguely objectives, more like an object sometimes as opposed to an actual hmm. person. And I never felt that. The, the, I certainly felt the first game always continued to show his relative lack of respect for Meryl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time. It's... And even though I applaud Kojima for trying to make her strong, mm-hmm. I am disappointed about how in the end she still ends up having to be trained or saved or effectively built up to be the person she already is. And the mm. whole section where you have to find her, mm. by if I remember rightly, just basically watching how people walk. Oh, when yeah, you go back ass. to it now, it's just a... It's, I find that quite uncomfortable because of just the pure objectification that comes with that whole situation. But there's a whole history of it. All the games have Snake effectively talking to people on the codec as if they're pieces for his pleasure at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Metal Gear 4 was the one where he's an old man talking to uh, Jennifer Hale's wonderful Naomi uh, character, oh, no. and he's grown prematurely very, very old, and she's only a few years older, and he's, oh, no. like, playing with his cigarette during this cutscene, and he drops it so that he can sort of bend down and look up her skirt. It's fucking cr- flesh-crawling. Oh, no. oh, There's no. a whole series of things in Metal Gear Solid 3, mm-hmm. which also, as, as amazing and standout as that game is, are also times that you feel that it's slightly crossing a line that it didn't need to go to. Yeah, and Metal Gear Solid Five is the one with Quiet, isn't it? The uh, the, the girl mm-hmm. who has to basically wear skimpy uh, clothing the whole time, even though she's a sniper hey. crawling around on sharp rocks. Hey, 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 there's a story reason why she has to be dressed is like there? that. Is <laughs> yeah. there? Yeah, it's <laughs> Continue, Toby. Sorry, I talked across you. No, um, I honestly won't dwell on quiet, but uh, the story reason is that she absorbs power from the sun, so it's yeah. able to give her more energy that way. Anyway. Um, and that's why she's fully clothed later on in alternate costumes, and it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, Kojima, just own up to it, you know. like Just say, it's not I'm great. a filthy old man. At least it's honest. <laughs> The thing in Metal Gear Solid 1, at least, and I was hoping that this would get a little better as time went on, but mm-hmm. sadly it Apparently not. Feels, sounds like it didn't. But it, the thing that grated me the most was that it's always the first thing he says to each of the female characters. Yeah. And he does like you know talk about and engage with the other aspects of their personality. Eventually. It's eventually. But it's always like, okay, a female character, I've got to comment on the fact that you're a girl soldier. Isn't that weird? Isn't it bizarre that you are a woman and also a soldier? Isn't that just really bizarre? And I guess it's because Snake questions everything you know if someone says go to the second floor basement he'll say second floor basement like that's the most confusing thing in the entire world so maybe he honestly hasn't had that much experience with women so he's like hang on hang on what what is going on here i my mind just can't fathom it 
But yes, it was always grating that it was the first thing that he mentions. And the thing is, I understand that part of Kojima's influences stem from the James Bond archetype of a suave superhero type person that is not really a superhero. But that doesn't mean you should bring every problematic aspect of the character along with the raids. It feels like Kojima is unaware that that is problematic. Yes. And then when people tell him it is, he goes, eh, who cares? And I can understand that. I I can give it a slight bit of leeway the first time, Mm -hmm. but by the time it got to end PS2, start PS4 era, that should have been been moved well out of the way by that stage. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. On On the upside, Meryl is a potentially good female character. On the downside, when you finally get to meet her, you have that really excellent battle with Psycho Mantis. Then Mm -hmm. you get a little bit of a chat. She says, I'm not going to hold you back. She gets shot immediately. She begs Snake to kill her, to take her out of the game, because all she is is a problem to him. He won't. He goes off to save her. Then she gets taken out of the game until the very, 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 very last bit. And if you give in during the torture, she's dead. So they had the opportunity right there for you to have a companion throughout the whole game. And mm. then they pissed it up against a wall. Mm. Oh, you know what would have been better? Why didn't Mel save him while he was being tortured? Bingo. That would have been an excellent move to reinforce how good she is. Yeah. I mean, you don't actually have to have her there with you all the time. If you remember in no. 3, Eva comes and goes. And is, you know, very competent at what she's doing. Like they, they make progress with her. And the boss is one of my favorite female characters in all of fiction, let alone video games. Mm, uh, in I'm terms of capable female characters uh, with mm. their own agency. My God, does the boss have agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, Meryl is effectively taken out of action and turned into this thing that Snake has to rescue. And Basically damseled. Yeah, she's damseled. We won't belabor the point. There's nothing much else to it. That's all. I should have saved you. I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light! That's Devil May Cry, not Metal Gear Solid. I know. But it's the same fucking thing. The Man Pain Chronicles. Shit we need to grow out of. I'm glad that they learned from this and, and, and made it more. Because Snake has always had strong women around him. And to their credit, like you never really get an Ashley out of Resident Evil 4. Like somebody who's no. just... I mean, the closest That's thing there. is Emma Emmerich in uh, uh, 2. Also played, confusingly, by um, uh, Jennifer Hale. So if, if you remember that lengthy scene with Naomi and uh, uh, Otacon <laughs> in 4 and uh, EE and uh, Otacon in 2, it's like, um, just give Otacon a break. And us, please. If you've played those games, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, Otacon's another slightly problematic character for a different reason. You want to into it? I, I've always felt that Otacon has effectively tried to mirror two different things. One of which is... Uh, otaku-type personality within the game. Mm-hmm. But I sometimes feel that's played far more for laughs than it should have been. It's almost as if Kojima's written it in a way that is a little bit of a 
a nod nod and a wink wink to everyone else to say <laughs> look how silly they are oh and they're silly but <laughs> in a michael bay kind yeah, of yeah but in the same way oh it's not when it's not as contemptuous as no, michael bay michael mm, bay fucking hates nerds mm. but on the flip side he is important because he is at least part of the grounding for the scientific part of the nuclear discussion, the weapons discussion, the armaments discussion. He is the one that, in amongst the DARPA chief and the Connor and the Connor and all those sort of people who are very much military is what we do, military is what we bring. Otacon's the one that says, look at all the hassle it caused, look at the problems all this can bring, which he does in one and two, really. But at the same time, he's kind of drastically undercut by the fact that oh look at him he's a, he's a little bit weird and he's a little bit kooky and he's a little bit otaku <laughs> and I, I'm never sure which way that he's meant to be perceived and mm-hmm. it's always one that has never quite fitted right again he's a character I really like and it's only really by the time you get to the latter stages of four that you kind of feel he's been done a bit of justice mm. uh in in this game, I, 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 rem- I always remember being fond of Otacon, and uh, I think it's possibly just residual memories of what happened in 4 uh, and the, the way that that was stretched out. So when he turns up after Sniper Wolf is dying, and it's this really wonderful, dignified moment. Sniper Wolf's one of my favorite characters in the game. She's mysterious. Mm. She was born on a battlefield. She's got this amazing voice actress. Mm. And uh, she's got this presence to her. So when and I, and I shot her with tranquilizer darts, I'm like, please, is there any way to not kill sniper? Mm. But apparently, if you fill someone with 22 sniper rifle <laughs> tranquilizer darts, it does eventually kill them. And so she's she, you know, she gets this wonderful scene of just quiet dignity, and then Otacon comes along from a completely different genre and goes, oh no. Sniper Wolf! And I'm like, fuck, dude. I mean, just it, stepped on the drama. I mean, she doesn't say it, but every, it, the two times I've seen that scene, I've thought to myself, it wouldn't be, like, I would not be surprised if Sniper Wolf took a look at him and just said, do, do I know you? <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> do I know you? <laughs> I think that comes back to the whole... He's played in a way that you think, are you, are you just have you just written him for people to kind of go, what, what, what's this, what's he doing? <laughs> because what, what's going on here? Why is he what? what? But yeah, it's I, I actually like Sniper Wolf. I like I said I like all all the bad guys, but it's basically Sniper Wolf, Revolver, Ocelot are the two that stand out alongside Lucas Snake, obviously at the end. Revolver Ocelot. I want to punch so hard. <laughs> He's just yakking on and on and on, like uh, like multiple games of him yakking. On <laughs> He's a great and memorable uh, villain, but I mean the whole him being punchables actually works in his favour. You want to, yeah. but uh, I don't feel for him it? anywhere near as as uh, fondly as I do for Sniper Wolf Boy. and um, mm. also Psycho Mantis. Uh, they the actual Psycho Mantis fight is a piece of interactive video game theatre.
and there's a lot of meta stuff in the game like I think you mentioned before the whole uh, Naomi saying put the controller on your arm I'll make it feel good and then she makes it vibrate uh, Psychomantis take that out of context yeah <laughs> Psychomantis <laughs> oh, take that out of context Psychomantis when uh, like first off he analyzes your behavior throughout the game and goes, you're a careful man, like if you haven't stepped into traps, or you're a careless man, and you have not saved often, and, and you know, t- tells you whether you've saved. And uh, if you've been going around killing everyone, he's like, oh, you are a butcher. And if you've just been very, very stealthy and trying to avoid any kind of combat, he's like, you know, you are a peaceful man. You do not, li- you like to avoid conflict. Yeah. And so it feels like the game's actually watching, and in like, it, you you flit back and forth between. Well, I'm really glad somebody noticed, and that's mm. super creepy. Yeah, it's also, unnerving as hell. Even yeah. twenty years later, oh, yeah. and you yeah. see all the and. This is one of the things I knew about the game for years. Like, I, little things about this game, I got picked up because people talk about them. And Mantis was one of the things that the bosses that I knew about. Mm. And at the beginning, when they're talking about all the different members of Foxhound, and I loved the idea of Foxhound, and I'll get into that in a moment. But the, they mentioned decoy octopus. I'm like. Who's that guy? And then <laughs> Psychomantis. Oh, looking forward to him. But it's just the idea, and I knew one thing it does is it'll read your save data and it will yeah. say, oh, you play this. So if you've played Castlevania Symphony of Night, it'll go, you like Castlevania, don't you? <laughs> and I thought, well, how's that going to work? Because I have a PS3 and it would really break it if it says, oh, I see you like the Kingdom Hearts 2.5 edition. <laughs> <laughs> I would be thinking, okay, now that's impressive. But You've been playing what Overwatch. Like. <laughs> um, but he, it says, hmm, your memory is completely clean. And yeah. that's, a, I really like that. I really like that it even has a thing to account for. Okay, we don't actually have anything else on there. I was wondering if the fact that I had Final Fantasy VII on the PS3 as well would come into it but i don't know which came first so anyway he's an unsettling villain he the things you need to do to work around his trickery is very inventive and every boss fight is very it goes back to what i was talking about earlier where this game is full of moments and it's because it keeps things varied and it keeps it tries to make the characters you go up against not only memorable, but it will emphasize them at least once or twice before you have your boss fight with them. With Psychomantis, you see him projected there. With Sniper Wolf, you actually fight her twice, but she puts her mark on you so you know, oh, we're not done here. And with Metal Gear it's talked about for the entire game and you know you're going to have to fight it but you're talking about oh I've got to make sure that I find the override codes otherwise I'm going to have to destroy it and you think oh I better get those override codes even though I know I'm going to have to fight this thing so every encounter is built up and built up and it means that even if you know exactly what to do you feel the tension and the stakes of each encounter and each encounter is different. Mm. You're not 
it's not like a 3D brawler, for example, where, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to figure out when you can do the combo that you've learned. Yeah. Revolver Onslaught is about figuring out how to hide, but also get your shot away at the same time. The Sniper Wolf one is a completely different one because you've got such an open area that you have to figure out how to get the best angle to find her and to see her and what tricks to do for that. Everything, the uh, obviously the Psychomantis one is got the trick of the controller move, uh, controller change. But each one's different. They, they don't attempt to just take a single idea and repeat it ad nauseum, which I think was actually pretty unique at the time as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it really didn't happen often. The uh, the memory card thing back in the day was that it only registered Konami games. So mm. if it was Castlevania. However, mm. the version, the Twin Snakes that I played, he went, ah, you like adventure games. I see you like The Legend of Zelda. Because <laughs> the memory card that I bought from eBay, there was a Wind Waker save on there. Oh, and I was okay. like, ah, I do like The Legend of Zelda. Well, how did you know this about me? <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, the, the pad thing. First off, he goes, I can make your pad move. And second off, like every time you shoot at him, he dodges out of the way. And if you, you you are eventually like, well, what do I do to uh, yeah. the support team? And they say, try using the other controller port, which back in 1998, <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> and then you do it, and then he gets, re- he gets really pissed off about it. He's like, I cannot read you. And it's so satisfying because he's been running wings around you for the first time. There's a great ebb and flow to that. Weirdly mm. enough, on the GameCube version... It took ages to wear him down. It was just chip damage, even when I was in the fourth controller port. And it was eventually, it was like, I am exhausted with this fight. Mm. And when you finally like get to the end, um, it, it, there's a lot of win back as he, uh, he lies dying and talking to you. I think it feels like Assassin's Creed took this scenario as you know, <laughs> you know how Snake sort of sits with his um, foes while they die. There's a there's an honor yes. to that, and there's a, a, yeah. a, a sense of um, on, you know, giving them their last rights, even if you're just allowing yeah. them to unburden themselves. And some mm. of them are unrepentant, and they're all kind of different in the way they do that. Mm. Uh, you know, some of them explode, some implode. <laughs> but, but that felt very, very new. And the other meta thing that I absolutely loved was when Baker says, oh, uh, you'll need to get Meryl's frequency. It's on the back of the box. And they're like, what box? And a lot of my friends were just like asking me at school, what box? I have looked at the cardboard <laughs> box in my inventory. Where mm. is the number? And I said, no, no, no. The box. The CD case. Where's the CD case in the game? No, 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 no. Think outside the box. Literally, the box that your game came in. And then they stared at me. And then they went, oh, really? <laughs> it's... It's one of those things that I it all added to Mystique at the time, and it was an aspect of the game which I think is why it sticks in the pe- so many people's memory, is that it did a lot of things which you went, this is very outside, it's got to sound like a bad pun, but outside the box. Why have, No one's ever done this before. To be honest, no one's really ever done it since. Yeah. And I, it's one of those parts that you go, I, how inventive of a person is yeah. 
this designer in the end. Mm, I, I can think of one or two examples. On the first DS Legend of Zelda, the Phantom Hourglass, there's a point where you have these two maps and mm, you have you're thinking that. oh yeah. how the hell do oh, i yeah, do this and, and people either love or hate this the people <laughs> who hate this are the people who had to be told what to do and the people who loved it were the people who worked out what to do <laughs> uh, i was the former so this puzzle is awful but it's actually great <laughs> and you close the ds case and then when you open it and it comes out of hibernate mode it's taken the print of the other map and put it onto the other one because you physically press the two screens together. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. If you're playing it on a 2DS, uh, what are they called? The the little the like the the ones that look like an axe blade. That oh, the unblocked. 2DS. Yeah, yeah, the original 2DS. You have to just switch the button to uh, sleep mode and then back on on again. You don't get to close it. But um, <laughs> the one from uh, uh, Spirit, Tra- I think it was Spirit Tracks, or could have been uh, Wind Waker that I loved, was where you have to blow the dust off uh, a map or a picture. Just you literally mm. blow into onto your DS. Mm. <sighs> Those were some good fun games <laughs> um, inevitably someone would come into the room and see and they're thinking what are you doing and blowing my just... game dad <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, I, I blew enough cartridges back in the day it's oh, normal yeah. it's normal and <laughs> uh, now i think we're getting to that bit that uh that you had some problems with uh, um toby in terms of meta Around halfway through the game, when you've gone to get a sniper rifle to come back to stop Meryl from being shot to death uh, by uh, Sniper Wolf, just to defend her, and you've taken a few minutes away, you come back, she's gone, you take out Sniper Wolf temporarily, you go to the uh, end of the corridor, you get captured, and then you get stuck on a torture rack, and then Liquid Snake gloats at you, and you're like, okay, so it's one of those sequences. And then... Mm -hmm. Ocelot reveals his his winning hand, which is his only hand now. His only, yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is that you can either you 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 are going to be electrocuted, and there's nothing you can do to stop that. You can either pound on that button to keep your energy up, or you can submit. If you don't keep your energy up, you die, and there's no continues. Um, now, I, I feel like if they'd been really hardcore, they would have wiped your save like uh, Steel Battalion and just gone, oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. this is Snake dying and the whole game is lost. But it feels like <laughs> that would have been a little risky. That would be a part. bit too much. But what, I, what I like is that if you save with Mei Ling, and I'll talk about Mei Ling later, yeah. but I really like her as a, a character and a way to save the game, but she yeah. says... If you save between the sniper wolf fight and yeah. then she says, Snake, I think you should save the game now. And Snake asks, why? What's wrong? And she says, I, I don't know. I just have a bad feeling about this. And yeah. it's because if you uh, fail the torture sequence, and I failed the torture sequence many times, uh, you will load back to the last point where you could yeah. save. So it's then. But anyway, I interrupted. Continue. That's all right. Uh, and uh, it. it- especially if you didn't save, it's actually really frightening because you're like, I don't know if I can Mm -hmm. do this. And you're being asked to button mash, which you've never had to do in the game before. And all the time, the controller's vibrating and Snake's screaming. And if you submit and just go, I don't want to die, Meryl dies. And uh, he tells you that 
and he's telling the truth. So you you know if you if you submit and then get let off from the uh, torture, you have effectively traded your life for hers. And that is a real. I mean, it's a moment. It's a moment mm. where you have to work out: Do, do I really want to uh, uh, sacrifice? Could be, I mean, potentially hours worth of play if you haven't saved in ages, because you don't have to save when you die. Mm. It's a very forgiving game. It usually just puts you back to the beginning of your section, or in almost every case, it just goes right. What was the last time you walked through a doorway, and you're just there? So you could technically mm. go through the game only saving once or twice, and. You know, if you actually had to leave the game, if you were going to do it in one mm. sitting, you could get through saving it maybe once. So potentially you've got hours worth of uh, experience that you might have to trade for Merrill. Mm. And that's a very, again, I, I can't remember, like there's a bit like that in Fable 2. And I hope Glenn's listening because um, that, that was a, um, his studio did uh, Fables 2 and 3 and um, the there's a bit where you're in the spire and I think you have to save someone, but to do so you have to sacrifice a lot of your experience and magic Mm. or you can save yourself and and keep all of that stuff you hard earned. And that's a real decision. Mass Effect Mm. is a couple of similar across the trilogy. I should say has a couple of similar situations where you go, well, you save one, but you kill a lot or how do you want to do it? So, Mm. but this was the earliest time that I had this particular type of situation so I was, but that that button mashing sequence—that's hard. They mm. they do not take mm-hmm. it easy on you at all. You've really mm-hmm. got to work for it to the point where, I think I remember the first couple of times I tried it, thinking, "Is this even possible? Is it actually? What is the technique for me to hold this controller and press this at this? Because you can't just press it with your finger pressing down. Yeah. You've kind of got to rub it across." Like you would in the old um, mm-hmm. summer game sort of situation. You got to pound and that thing. Hope, hope for the best, mm. but it's no, it's not easy. It, it is not easy yeah. at all. And I think that's where, and I'm probably going to go on a rant here, and I want to try and keep this focused and fair and not uh, blow out the microphone. Don't I think I think that the whole setup of it and everything you just said is absolutely true it's a really well-crafted moment with a lot of great ideas it gives you at least a couple of hours with meryl beforehand so if like she's not well as well utilized after this moment as i would have ideally liked but you there's a lot of attachment you have to her she you don't want her to die but here's the thing Button mashing, and by that I just mean the only thing the game is asking you to do is press a button repeatedly over and over in a very fast like way, is something I've never been able to do. Mm. I've like I've tried all the techniques, every everything that anyone has ever said. It's just not something that I can do. And maybe this is just because I've lost a dozens of Mario Party games to my <laughs> asshole older brothers, but it's also just something that aggravates me. And when it's a side activity in a game, that's fine. You know, some people really enjoy it, or some people really are happy that it's an old part of games that is still around in one form or another. But the thing I cannot stand is when it's a mandatory part of the game, or in this particular instance, a 
significant moment where your ability to button mash is something that it's counting on. Because to me, that's essentially the game saying you can't continue unless you have this one very specific skill. And as you say, you haven't been asked to do anything like this all the way up to this point. And you're not asked to do anything like it afterwards either. So it's a bit like you get halfway through a film and then... So let's say you get halfway through Fellowship of the Ring and you're in the tomb, you're in the Mines of Moria, and then just as the goblins are going through... The Peter Jackson stops the film, walks up to you and says, here's an axe, fight an army of goblins now. Otherwise, <laughs> you don't get to watch the rest of this film. Or here's another film. Well, not specifically if you don't, uh, then Samwise dies. Yeah, yeah. If you and, and it's just something that feels so... I Again, this is not an issue if this is something you can do. But the first time I did it, I had to use this technique that I like someone online suggested where you take a pen and you wrap some paper around it and just flick it between the uh, button and elsewhere and it somehow works. And for whatever reason, it wasn't, it wasn't really quite working for me and my uh, controller was dying on the second time I was going through this. So... And I was waiting for a uh, controller charger to come to me. So it wasn't actually, I didn't want to break this thing just because, you know, Ocelot was torturing me. So he won. On my second playthrough, I stopped there. That's as far as I got. And I watched the rest of it in the uh, game on a playthrough online just to get everything fresh in my head again. But it just seems to me to be and it's a torture scene it is meant to test you i completely understand that but i think that it is like the effect of that is not worth barring what i think is going to be not an insignificant number of your player base from experiencing the rest of the story or at least you know the rest of the happy ending version the sort of canon version ending and i've seen four merrill's alive in that so it's certainly counting this ending as the proper ending it just seems a bit like your it doesn't gel with the rest of the game in terms of i got through everything else fine mm. but that just stopped me it stopped me flat from and this. it's the black hole that or no that's a bit too dramatic but it, it breaks is the, the game one, for it some breaks people. The game. Yeah, it breaks the game. You know, talk about uh, the 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 ocelot fight. Oh, it breaks the it breaks the fight by being way too easy. No, no, no. This for some people breaks capital B mm. the game. Mm. Yeah, I, I I always classed it as the difficulty spike, non difficulty spike. Yeah, in that you don't have to pass it to progress but it feels like you should pass it to progress properly. Mm. And that's always been uh, the disconnect part of the game for a lot of people. And I think I understand why, because it is the canon ending. So to feel you've not done the canon ending Mm. makes you go, have have I finished it in a way that I should have finished it? Mm. It's like it's the whole good ending, bad ending problems that some games have, which is, you know the ending that you want to get, but 
if you don't get it because you feel the game's kind of cheated you out of it, it, it doesn't have the same ring to it by the time you finish. Mm. It would be like if a horror film had a version of it that only played for you if during a particularly intense moment you looked away from the screen periodically throughout the rest of the film it said you looked away didn't you yeah you looked away yeah look at this guy everyone he looked away more specifically you looked away so this character that you love dies exactly and it's grating it's meta but it's uh yeah it can go too far around and actually uh, lead to a negative experience Mm -hmm. so I've heard that there are, it's actually a tradition in some of the other games to have a button mashing sequence, which is honestly a big disappointment to me because I love a lot of the parts of this game Mm. and I love a lot of the identity and I'm excited to play the rest of the series, but things like the notorious microwave corridor sequence, I am not looking forward to. Okay. I I would say one thing about that, which is, at least it's not the same sort of, It's not going to change it. It's just a slightly elongated sequence, but you're not going to miss out on anything. Yeah. It's just oh, one okay. of these single... Oh, there's there's nothing that has this level of massive impact if you screw up. Mm-hmm. There, are button, okay. there are occasional button-mashing moments, but nothing that sticks out in my head as this was terrible. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. it feels... It, I, I spent the whole um, tenure of time between... Uh, uh, the first game and the what well, the first game the the third game technically but Metal Gear Solid and MGS Four believing that the actual canonical ending is that he ends up with Hal because he just drives off with him on a skidoo mm-hmm. and then they're best buds in the second game and then they're still best buds in the third in the fourth game because effectively the third one's a big old prequel and it doesn't reference modern day stuff so when you come back to the fourth game, they're still best buds. When he meets Meryl again, it's been 10 years in the real world and he's amazed to see her, which suggests in fact that the canonical ending is that she quote unquote does die. It's just, that she's, not, she's only yeah. mostly dead. <laughs> Although <laughs> if she does it. die, you do get that Wolverine. No, like pulling up. So, to be fair, it's a weird situation for where one goes, you, I thought you were dead, and one says, I thought you were younger. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they mess around with time a lot in that. Uh, as uh, uh, Liquid says, who's also only mostly dead at the end of this one, you're <laughs> drowning in time, brother. He says that when he's the arm of Ocelot in the second one. Yeah, he comes back as an arm. Uh, Don't question it. It's crazy. I'm so glad I already knew about that, because if I didn't, I think, uh, you know, hold on, let's just hop on to the ultimate reality where I didn't know that and I just heard that little fact. <clears throat> what? Precisely. <laughs> is the only correct answer. Yeah, he's an all. I, I do, I will say, Liquid Snake is the possibly the weirdest sounding villain I've ever heard, but I absolutely love the man for it. He's like some weird very highfalutin, posh-sounding person. It seems like he's very classically educated, but is absolute, absolutely a master villain at the same time. 
Yeah, he's, he's got that kind of Bond villain thing going on where um, this was actually a, a film that came out afterwards and was one of the worst Bond films. But Rupert Graves, this sort of, you know, posh snobby guy in Die Another Day, uh, was uh, you know kind of liquid snaky, kind of, uh, I, I'm the version of you that's a little more refined, James Bond. You're a blunt, mm-hmm. rough version of me. And... Um, He's played by Cam Clark, who voiced Dog Tanyon. And if you're about 40, you'll remember Dog Tanyon. <laughs> and then the, hey, you come back here, mister. <laughs> it's Alexander <laughs> Dumas' uh, Three Musketeers, but told with dogs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of lovely to, to hear this voice uh, playing someone who's quite so ostentatious and quite so yes. villainous. The whole actual arc of the story, when you get down to it, it's just about two brothers, really. Mm. Amongst all the craziness and all the different types of military jargon and odd abilities, it's just a story about two brothers and immense jealousy. Yeah. One of them feels horribly inferior because uh, he uh, got the... Um, the the, work, the the recessive genes of uh, their father, Big Boss, and the other one uh, didn't even know about that and never really went through his life with that inferiority complex. And then Ocelot at the end reveals in a phone call to the president that it's the other way round and Solid was the one with all the recessive genes, which suggests mm-hmm. that he has had to fight his whole way through his life uh, and has managed to become a, a strong person despite his poor genes, rather than feeling a constant sense of neuroses and uh, uh, what's the word? Effectively, a lesser person because yeah, inferiority. He never, he, he never got the same mm. breaks as he felt that his brother received. Yeah. Mm. So, Liquid Snake is Rimmer then. And it has the same exact twist as that Ace Rimmer episode. Turned out the good one was the one who didn't get the breaks. that reveal at the end because beforehand I thought they were putting a little too much stock even though the lesson of the game is despite all the this sort of emphasis on genes and the fate of that that they put us through I like that that turnaround says no Liquid was so invested in that and thought that this was the only because he had that it meant that he would never escape from it but really, like, that was all nonsense. That was just a lie that his dad, in a very sort of Odin and Loki and uh, Thor sort of way, said, oh, you are both born to be kings, but uh, 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 only one of you can actually be king. And he only told that to Liquid, and Liquid just develops that complex the whole way through. He is kind of like Loki, actually. Loki's like this done really even better. Mm. Where Hiddleston managed it. Mm. Uh, also, he's kind of Danny DeVito in Twins. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Liquid Snake. 
<laughs> Brother! <laughs> no, that was before he hit puberty and then the voice just went pro- <laughs> Metal Gear? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. I also want to give a quick shout out. I, you may have bypassed him, but I also quite enjoyed um, Grey Fox. Mm, the, purely the because. Yeah. Purely because he comes out of nowhere, has absolutely no reason for existing, doesn't at any point make any sense, gets to the end. Effectively, I think I remember it, he kind of saves the day a little bit. Mm. And then you disappear and you still get to the end of it and you go, I don't understand the point of this man. <laughs> he just seems to exist. And what, this is the most consumer yeah. thing in the world where you go, I don't... What? 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 Why? And this is what I said about the presentation. It handles Grey Fox with immense importance. And it's like, okay, yeah, so you obviously played the MSX games. No, we didn't. You obviously played both of them, right? You got all of that uh, information. No, we didn't. Well, you obviously watched the briefing at the beginning for 30 minutes where we told you all about Zanzibar Land and all of this lore. No. Okay, so you caught in the codec conversations all that stuff about Grey Fox. Oh, yeah, kind of. Okay, so he's that guy. Oh, now cry for him. Cry for Cyborg Grey Fox. <laughs> and it's like I've wandered in and several reels of a movie are missing. I like the idea of all those moments where Snake is calling out Fox and I can just now imagine an alternate version of the Super Smash Bros. campaign where Snake is inquisitively invested in the space Fox and he's just going, Fox! <laughs> And do you also oh, remember Space Fox? <laughs> the, the, one of the big changes between the two, the Twin Snakes and the original is when you introduce the Grey Fox and the Twin Snakes, you enter the corridor and it is literally just basically turned completely red. Yeah. The, the PlayStation One is a little bit okay. There's been a bit of violence here. Yeah. And the Twin Snakes is just someone's gone mad with a paintbrush. Oh man, he's sliced and diced. He's gone completely and utterly banzai. And this was on the sweet family machine, the Nintendo GameCube, the little purple cube. Yeah, if you had this game and then you went into Super Mario Sunshine, you used the water thing to clean the walls of that corridor. (laughs) There you go. Or or you uh, uh, then get burst in on by that guy with the chainsaw in Resident Evil 4 and he just paints the whole place with you. (laughs) So, yeah, it, it, it had some weird... Very dark games on that system. Oh, uh, Silicon Knights, who made um, uh, Twin Snakes, I believe were responsible for Eternal Darkness, Sanity's yeah. Requiem, yeah. which That's I won't really. play, don't ask me to, folks, but it was a uh, Lovecraftian <laughs> mystery horror game and, uh, you know, spoken of very highly at the time. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really good, but it's a bit of a head spinner. Hmm. Uh, and they, uh, they they reorchestrated the music, and frankly, the the original score by uh, it's it's multiple uh, Konami uh, musicians, Kazuki Muriaka, uh, Hiroki Togo, Takanari Ishiyama, Lee Jiong Myung, and Maki Kirioka. That score for that original Metal Gear Solid will stick in your brain. They play the music and they loop it in each area, so and you spend enough time there that (laughs) 
when you get to hear it again, it immediately takes you back. And, and mm. I've been playing it throughout this uh, this show, and I've not been using the Twin Snakes stuff because when you go back and listen to Twin Snakes. It's not as good. A lot of it is uh, a variation on the original, and it's nowhere near as terrible as the Resident Evil One reorchestrated version for the for the Dual Shock uh, version. Mm. But it's not as good. There was also a lot of uh, backlash about the cutscenes. The because um, uh, in the original game, um, uh, Kojima had things play out in his style. And then uh, this one was directed by Ryuhei Kitamura, who directed Versus, which is a fucking crazy zombie Highlander Japanese ninja <laughs> film uh, set very cheaply in a forest. And absolute, it's like Evil Dead 2. It's batshit mental. And if you've never seen Versus, track that one down. It's hilarious. But uh, he, he, he originally, this new director, tried to keep things very close to Kojima's style. And Kojima went, no, 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 no. Do it in your style. And a lot of people didn't like his style. So like, there's things like when the hind fires a sidewinder missile at Snake, rather than just dodging it, he leaps up and surfs on it for a bit and then flips it around. <laughs> like he's in a Devil May Cry cutscene. Bingo. <laughs> it's far closer in, at times to Devil May Cry. And it's also uh, very much inspired by the Matrix. There's a lot more bullet timey, like diving Mm -hmm. sideways as bullets go this way and then when you fight the ninja Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like slow bullets in the air and and obviously John Woo started doing that way earlier than The Matrix and The Matrix was doing John Woo but with much more of a focus on tech but if you had slow-mo in the early 2000s that was Matrix it's very much a game of its time and it's also reflected in the uh, soundtrack for the cutscenes I have not watched all of them but I glanced at it this afternoon and I saw the very end of the game when Liquid is chasing you through the uh, tunnel in the car. Yeah. And there's a bit where Snake is, I think, flipping between the cars. And it's playing very sort of Matrix sounding, like guitar sort of going like that sort of thing. Is Don Davis in the room? <laughs> <laughs> It's unfortunate that this it's is basically a of all those director's cuts that you look at and you go the original was better mm. you, didn't, you didn't need to do this but mm. it was a way for it to get a larger amount of exposure uh, and I think it was another feather in Nintendo's cap at that time which mm. you wanted for, the, for that system mm. Honestly if you've, if you've played 4 and you remember those the Raiden fight where he has swords on his feet it's uh, <laughs> it's honestly like, people at the time were like oh this is a little bit too crazy for Metal Gear Solid now <laughs> no it's not it's very much in keeping with Metal Gear Solid it, mm. it feels like it's captured the spirit of that even if it is, is from a different director mm. but we have to get used to Metal Gear Sans Kojima anyway mm, well uh, we tried that jury's we still, didn't like yeah. it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jury's still out on that one I'm not sure we're going to have the chance to get used to Konami games period because they're just not making them now yeah. although they are uh, making pachinko games with erotic violence ooh sign me up I'll yeah. take 20 football and snakes one other thing I, I mentioned it earlier with snake eyes there is a lot of what feels like G.I. Joe about this. And I don't know if Kojima sort of went in there expecting this to be the case, but Foxhound are effectively Cobra. They're a more honorable version of Cobra, 
But <clears throat> they've got that same kind of like, well, this is, you know, serious paramilitary stuff going on. But you've got wizards. And you've got, <laughs> like, the, the, you know, in, in Metal Gear Solid 2, you've got a, 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 a fat guy on roller skates whose thing is drinking uh, um, cocktails whilst also setting bombs. It's out of its gourd. Okay, so that's the thing I didn't know about. So this one's genuine. What? Yeah, the fat guy on roller skates. <laughs> he's literally just called Fat Man. <laughs> I guess that's a reference to the nuke. So there you yeah. go. It's very academic. Yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's a great moment at the end, and I'll spoil this one a little bit, uh, the, in the end of the fight with Fat Man, where he's like, there's one more bomb left. <laughs> and then he's just lying there, you know, effectively breathing his last breath. And you're just standing over him, and it's like going, ten, nine, and you're like, where's this bomb? Where's this bomb? And then you're like, oh, hang on. Can I move him? And you can drag him away. And he's sitting on it. And you're like... <gasps> And then you've got to freeze it very quickly, otherwise it'll blow the whole place sky high. <laughs> yeah. Really, uh, you know, 2 was derided in its day, and I don't think we're going to cover 2 or 3. I think this 1 will cover all the Metal Gears. Uh, but 2, in its at the time, people railed against the switcheroo. They, uh, you know, mm. it was, it was uh, the, all of the tanker stuff was built in the, uh, uh, the promo. Uh, so it was like, you're going to come back and play Solid Snake again at last. But really, you get mm. to play Solid Snake for the uh, demo, for the uh, tutorial, as it takes you into the game for a bit. And then they swap mm-hmm. him out for a guy that everybody hated because he was, uh, you know, blonde and more childlike and more feminine and uh, uh, was modelled in some ways on Leo DiCaprio and Titanic, who boys hated at the time. They wanted a macho guy. But the whole point of Metal Gear Solid was always that Snake was kind of a parody of Snake Plissken from uh, Escape from New York, who himself was kind of a parody of grizzled, like, macho uh, um, action heroes from the 70s, who would then go on to become the grizzled action heroes of the 80s, who would then mm-hmm. go on to evolve into Bruce Willis in Die Hard. And, you know, just, it was mm-hmm. this, this flow of action movies, the way that the comedy flows upwards and becomes more evolved and more complex as it goes on. So S- Snake was always kind of tongue-in-cheek. And in Metal Gear 2, Sons of Liberty, you kind of get to see Snake from the outside. He's still there, but he's your companion. He's your Meryl in this one. And uh, so, so people hated it. But if you go back and play it, there's even more meta moments in that game. There's some moments when you're, especially if you're playing late at night, way back in the day, where they start to really mess with your brain. And it's the lolly lolly low bit, isn't it? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. 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 I, I won't spoil any of that for folks yeah, if you yeah. get to play that. But if you, mm. folks at home, like the original Metal Gear Solid, might be harder to get hold of, but you can get hold of two and three in the HD collection. I never played through Peace Walker, but I heartily recommend playing through two and three for a Metal Gear Solid experience that actually works in the modern day, mm. more so than four, which is problematic if you actually. If you're not really invested in the series already, that four should not be your first one. That's it's kind of not like a jumping on your point. first Marvel being Infinity War. It's like no, no, this one is for the fans. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what I said at the beginning there, of that particular lengthy statement was it reminded me very much of GI Joe in that it's mm-hmm. uh, it's the serious military angle, but it's also very theatrical, camp, and silly. 
in a, in mm. a way that's uh, like it's difficult not to feel affectionate about because it never really it's it never does that thing that Zack Snyder does where it's we demand to be taken seriously. <laughs> it does lead slightly to a tone problem in all of the games where you're expected to uh, be actually very serious and then something really silly happens that kind of upsets that. Or you're expected to be finding it funny, but you're still hurting from a serious thing and a loss that you've just felt. And that sometimes you're being grabbed and run along with by the game, and you're not running at the exact same pace. So that's kind of been an issue with Metal Gear since day one. Mm-hmm. I've always found Metal Gear games to effectively be a an earnest desire to get a important point across wrapped up in the most bizarre pantomime you could imagine. <laughs> that they've always from the idea of denuclearization to the military complex to how you use DNA, how do you change that within people, they've all been aspects that the games of the years have touched on. But they do it alongside vampires People that people that run about roller skates, a man who had uh, sorry a dead man's arm grafted onto another man, all these sort of things where you go, this is just ridiculous. The third game has an enemy that involves bees. Yeah. And, and there's also that old guy. Uh, is it the silence? The the old sniper. Yeah, the end. I think it is the end. That's it. Who yeah. you could potentially be engaged in a sniper wolf style uh, duel with for hours in this one sec, one like multi linked section of forest, and then when you finally um, dispatch him, he's he's very peaceful about going, but then his head just sort of swells up like a balloon and his eyeballs bug out. It's crazy. And the thing is, the third game was trying, well, I wouldn't say trying, but it did want to seriously look at the both the idea of the Cold War, mm. but also how war changes somebody in the idea of the boss. Yeah. And what that does to a person, and how that shapes the views that they have. Mm. So the, the Kojima always wants to make a relatively pertinent point within the game that he is building from the world that he's created. Yeah. Mm. But they've always had the sense of faint ridiculousness about them, which I still, to this day, don't know if that enforces his point or undercuts his point. Yeah. I think it really depends how how much you want to take this world into your heart. Because I no doubt there'll be people that play it that just go, this is just too ridiculous and I cannot take what is happening in front of me seriously mm. like I was you... trying to uh, learn to crawl as Raiden and I was like right okay I need to get back into this game now I've finally been given the chance and I'm running around on the rooftop and there's bird shit on the ground and Raiden like does a little bicycle <laughs> scoot and falls over backwards while you're running around he slips on bird shit and falls over and it's like yeah this is a game that does not demand to be taken seriously <laughs> I like the idea of the uh, gothic music playing in the background of that and just like to make the tonal mismatch.
And yeah, that absolutely was the Terminator theme. There, there's also a contradictory philosophy in it on war and combat, uh, which reminds me of uh, James Cameron films, where his central thesis, and that's this is hammered home repeatedly throughout the game with that sort of beautiful um, uh, operatic song uh, the, the, with an Irish lilt at the beginning and the end, uh, and with that kind of Inuit feel to mm-hmm. it, the sort of very much in touch with nature side of things, and look, look, War is terrible. Nuclear war is terrible. We're hurting the earth. We're hurting each other. Look at all this nuclear material in silos leaking out of drums, and it's badly kept. Mm. And like this is, we're hurting ourselves, and it's something that we need to grow past. And at the same time, look at this gun here. Wow, look at this ninja. He's got a massive sword and this tank and this Hind D helicopter. And it's this weird condemnation of war with worshipping of ordnance mm. <laughs> for the guns mm. yet against the troops mm. I don't think it's quite as poetically rendered but it reminds me of how uh, Hayao Miyazaki has this fascination and love of technology and specifically sort of airships and moving castles and just mechanisms yeah. but also has this deep respect and adoration for the beauty of nature and he's trying to reconcile the two and I think that in this first game I get elements of what I think would be done much better in a game a little bit later on called Spec Ops The Line Mm -hmm. where the game is kind of almost condemning you for coming into this and saying oh yeah you want to like come and play this because it will give you this army experience but that this is terrible and you're terrible for wanting that yeah i mean yeah liquid is saying this to snake repeatedly why did you come to do this and snake is saying Uh, the battlefield is the only place I feel alive and it's almost the exact justification why you've picked up this game is because you want to be Snake and more specifically you don't want to be Snake the dog musher you want to be Snake the action hero who's going in and fighting all this crazy stuff so I think that that by the way is why everybody hated Raiden because they're him for the same reason they hated Kylo Ren because they're Mm -hmm. him he's them Mm -hmm. You have mm-hmm. to like just to be able to accept that that is a part of yourself that you do crave this weird mm. visceral experience, and to be mm. able to self-examine like that is key to being able to uh, examine what the game is presenting you with. Yeah, I I always did wonder if Kojima would have wanted to try and create a different type of experience that does not rely on you effectively using a weapon to tell the same story as Metal Gear does. Mm-hmm. Because he, the, the themes do seem to be very, to use the song, war, what is it good for? <laughs> but at the end of the day, God, you are still a blunt instrument in a battlefield. And mm. I, again, I, that may be deliberate, that may be a clever play on no matter how much you want to escape it, or escape the enjoyment of it, who you are. But it may also be that he was like, Hajj, I just don't know how else to tell this story. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that what works to that very well is the fact that even if the remake of this kind of took into account 
the play style where you're trying to be, you know, uh, peaceful and not killing anyone, it has something built into it to account for that that would explain why all these people are dying is because Snake is the carrier for the fox die uh, virus or the disease or whatever it is. He has been sent in, and whether he wills it or not, he is killing these people. And it's almost, it could be a commentary on how the soldiers don't have any agency Mm. whatsoever. And whether they want to kill or not, it's irrelevant. Their very presence there brings death. Yeah, similarly, the genome soldiers are all effectively... Uh, clones of Big Boss, and, and technically, if you kill them, you're killing your brothers, and the, it feels like they're genetically encoded for war because they they come from a warrior. Um, in Metal Gear Three, there's a, 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 a I, I want to say the silence again. You you take on a ghost, and rather than just it being straight, is it a literal ghost? You, yeah, you have to walk yeah. through a of river of every person you've killed in that game. If you somehow got to that point and not killed anyone, you just walk oh. through a river and then get to the ghost at the end. But if you've killed everyone, you are walking oh. dozens of people and they're all dead in the way that you killed them. Like if they've been shot in the head, they're bleeding out of their head. That's if, amazing. If you shot that... them in the balls, they're clutching their balls and crying. <laughs> now I want to see a river of men clutching their balls. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, that's the internet. Oh, my God, it's the internet. Yeah. (laughs) The whole series is filled with moments like this of of just brilliance that will stick with you. And I don't know how easy they'll be to pick up now. I will, like I said, the the, the easiest way in at present is to go in with uh, uh, the HD collection and go two and three. Mm -hmm. Probably start, I would always tell people, Start with three and play three, and that way you'll know whether you can live with the style for the rest of them. Because I think See, three, three takes three away a lot of your safety up. blankets. Three is like, oh, you wanted a radar? You've got like the most basic ass 1964 radar. You mm. wanted, you know, uh, weapons? These ones degrade. You, you wanted to be able to move around? Well, you've got to camouflage yourself all the time. Mm. At least, but the, I will say the mechanics, I think, are well enough realized by that point that. If you play through it and you go, I'm on board with this, as weird as it is, I'm on board. When you do two and you do one Twin Snakes, you will at least be more accepting of the idiosyncratic nature of some of the decisions in the previous games, which may seem a little bit more backward after you play through it. Uh, yeah, I think I forgot the fact that you have to keep eating. You got to find and, mm-hmm. and hunt things. You got to feed on a tree frog. You got to eat snakes. Was he sneaky snake? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, modern day uh, survival implementation stuff that you take for granted in in a lot of uh, um, uh, survival games uh, that all stemmed seemingly from rust. That you've got to watch yourself. Or you can break your bones. You've got to do mm-hmm. like field surgery on yourself. Honestly, I feel like for the the easiest, most streamlined time for an experience that kind of feels like a subversion of the original Metal Gear Solid, MGS Two is the way to go. You've got less mm-hmm. stuff to worry about. It's a very clean interface. It's a straightforward, if convoluted, story. Despite that sounding like a big old contradiction. <laughs> I, I can see that. I can understand why that would be the case. Mm. Uh, but, have... but 3 does have the most powerful story, so uh, it, mm. it, it really depends. If you can force yourself through a, a more more tough gameplay, uh, for the rewards mm. will be 
great. Yeah, I have an alternative, and it's a, a bizarre uh, way of entering the series, mm-hmm. and it's biased because it's how I got into it. But honestly, Smash Brothers is a good way to get a taster <laughs> for what that character is, in that when you go to the stage, the Shadow Moses Island stage, you can do this thing where he calls up like different characters on the codec and he'll get intel on each of the different characters and of course smash is a very silly game but the dialogue and everything there is very much to the sort of style of the series and they even get in Mm -hmm. some little moments that are hints at things that snake has done in the past or he sort of sadly remembers uh who he's lost from a long time ago and it's a little snapshot that gives you enough to say these games that this character is from are silly they're also like the the strange moments of poignancy that and it's all exaggerated and you get a little bit of his play style and when I was actually controlling the remote control rockets I thought oh yeah no this is I'm familiar with this so it's an alternative one I think if you I agree that if you want to get a sense of the series maybe starting with one of the later ones is the better choice as long as it's not Metal Gear Solid 4 The uh, final thing I think to, to mention, because uh, you did say you'd talk about them later, Mei Ling and uh, Naomi Hunter and your, your support team, it feels like these aren't the people who are going in there directly to get their hands bloody. They are complicit in war and combat, though they are all trying to help you prevent a terrible catastrophe. If, if the nukes launch from Metal Gear, then innocent people will die. But it feels like Mei Ling is a is a point of innocence, and at the same time, she's very wise. So when you're mm. out there alone, and she gives you a little bit of uh, you know uh, ancient wisdom or some more modern day philosophy, kind of mixed up in there, it always mm. feels like she's there in your corner. Yeah, and it's what she's giving you there are the sort of tips that in a lot of contemporary games you would see them in the loading Loading in between and you know when you see them there you you don't even register them you blink past them but with this maybe it's because the voice actress is very engaged with it and maybe it's because they're actually tying it in with a bit of philosophy but i was always even if it was ruddy obvious i always (laughs) took it in and thought yeah that's actually a good way of looking at it and it was almost trying to say here's some of the life lessons you can take away from different ways of playing this game you can say be patient you can if you're not prepared then go back and get your provisions together and then come back more prepared and i really like that it endears me to the character and it's an ingenious way of delivering the little tips in a unique way that I don't think I've actually seen in any other game since. Yeah, it's, it's very much a situation where they are, they're effectively the difference between going into a menu, picking the help section, and what does this item do, and then just a brief text description. Mm. Mm. This is how, this is they found a way to put it into a, into the narrative but not make it appear as if you're being talked down to. 
at the same time. So they all keep it within context, and it stops you having to jump out of the game to figure out what you need to be doing with whatever it is that you've got. And the game has many, many, many endings. Like, once you've actually finally... It's not as got as many as Metal Gear Solid 4, which goes on <laughs> literally forever, but it has many, many endings. And I, I realized when I was playing it through recently that nobody who played this game in 1998 may ever complain about Return of the King. <laughs> in the same way that the amount of hoops I had to jump through to actually get... Metal Gear Solid, uh, the Twin Snakes, actually playing on my TV. I had to. <laughs> I couldn't get a GameCube because it would uh, it would just output like the original PlayStation, and it would look like crap on my uh, 4K TV. So I had to get a Wii. I borrowed my uh, father-in-law's Wii, and it was a second-gen Wii where they'd taken away the GameCube port. So I went and bought <gasps> a basic GameCube port Wii. And then I had to buy a memory card. Then I had to buy a GameCube pad. Then I had to buy a component cable. Then and Toby did the lion's share of the. It was going to cost me fifty-seven odd quid to get hold of uh, the Twin Snakes just on its own because it's that rare. And Toby just sent it to me, and I will send it back to you tomorrow, mate. Um, oh, thank you. But uh, uh, so yeah, you can have a go yourself. But yes. uh, <laughs> the amount of shit that I had to do just to play this. I never want to hear anyone complaining about oh too many remakes these days. We need remakes. We need remakes and remasters to preserve these games to bring to make sure that they are not landlocked to previous dead generations. Mm-hmm. They need to be alive for you know they need to be looked at from a different point of view. Like you could do a much more accessible version of this game. Still make it that you can't actually just shoot Revolver Ocelot from that vantage point. <laughs> But maybe make it so that you're a little bit more aware of what's coming directly in front of you. You know, just maybe make that mm. uh, um, a little bit more fluid. I guess I just want to talk about Naomi for a, a little bit because I think Naomi, on the second time going through, was probably my favourite character in the game. And part of that is because Jennifer Hale is voicing her and doing a tremendous job at it. Yeah. But it's also because you, when you know what her motivation is and what she's trying to do, she's gauging Snake up the entire time that you're playing through the campaign. She's asking him, oh, are you suddenly doing this? Have you had a change of heart? And she wants to get to know the man who killed her brother. Or she knows he's not dead, but more or less killed all but this shell of her brother and she's already accomplished her revenge she's already Mm -hmm. infected you before the events of the game even start but by the end of the game there's this odd moment of clarity between the two of them where snake asks her do you still hate me and she just honestly shakes her head and it's this sense that she kind of has 
she can only hold on to her revenge for her hate for so long. She even says that she thought about nothing else but him for two years and addresses the fact that this was a twisted obsession. And then by the end of it, even though Snake has not found a vaccine and that from what I can tell of the events of four, this is what will make him age and this is what will end up killing him. He is not angry at her and it's this acceptance between the two of them. It's the part of the game that I think for as much as the tone can, it could undercut, it could be messy and tangled. I think that Naomi through the performance of Jennifer Hale and through the just subtle development of her character throughout is something that makes this game tremendous and it's a tremendous element of it. It is a it's a fantastic little character arc for a character that only exists through spoken word, really. Mm-hmm. The, the depths of Naomi go some way to mitigating how Meryl ends up shortchanged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it is important to say that Kojima is not against writing strong, complex female characters. I think we just all find it a bit disappointing when he manages to do so well on one side, but fall on tropes hard on the other side at the same time because you, you see he can be better than that so mm. obviously he just sometimes chooses not to be yeah and it's as if he f- thinks it's an obligation like oh well I have mm. to have this because this is just the sort of character that Snake is but you know what if he's this parody in a send up subvert it you just do something that almost makes you think he's going that direction and then he doesn't and I yeah, I, I guess if he's, from what I can tell, he's living with Otacon and they've adopted someone by the time of Metal Gear Solid mm-hmm. 4. So if we see a reimagining of this storyline uh, within our lifetimes, I would maybe like to see a direction they go with it where Snake has zero interest in women. And that would be that would be a different way to go about it. They could totally do that. Mm-hmm. I think it would be quite challenging in a way that Kojima would uh, would approve of, mm-hmm. even if he is a dirty old man. <laughs> School of Movies is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Finbar Nicole, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Angus Lee, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Matthew A. Cyborg, Kat Esman, Alex Outridge, David Sheely, Jesse Ferguson, Valencia Burns, Sarah Montgomery, Toby Jungius, hmm, he was a guest this time. Dave Hickman, Tom Painter, Dan Hepner, Marty Huey, Mark Luksh, Ryan Novak, Frankie Punzi, Aaron Lecluse, Lorraine Chisholm, 
Timothy Green, Cassandra Newman, Duran Barnett, Benjamin Hoffer, Greg Downing, Kieran Dashler, Dan Mayer, Jameis Enright, Chris Finnick, and Joe Crow. Those aren't crows, they're ravens. Thank you all for getting us through this mission. Okay, gents, before we go, is there anywhere people can find your stuff? So, uh, you can find everything I write, film reviews, game reviews, and other articles on fictional media on theinquisitivej.tumblr.com, and you can also follow me at tyoungus, spelt J-U-N-G-I-U-S, on Twitter, and that's where I put all my dumb thoughts and various articles up, and sometimes the two coincide. And also, if you're a fan of New Century, you can find my various articles that I put up, which discuss the weekly episodes. And uh, Derek? I'm not quite as <laughs> wide-ranging as that, unfortunately, but you can find me on Twitter at the new Delboy for any random mutterings I have. And this episode was recorded before Toby began co-presenting Through the Wind Door a podcast that delves into the books of the New Century Multiverse, one by one. They've done Let Them Go, Secret Rooms, Tiger's Eye, and The Cartographer's Handbook so far. They don't spoil what's coming, and they're just starting in on Arlington. Honestly, Toby and Greg go into more depth than School of Movies. It's a treat to listen to, even if I wasn't the author behind the work. Which I am, but they find things that even I wasn't thinking of. They also do interviews with the cast members, which are a delight. So now it was a, a matter of, okay, you've got the accent, you've got kind of the tone that I'm going for, but you don't sound like an old woman. And of course, Merlane is supposed to be elderly at this point. Mm. So again, it's one of those things where like, I feel so stupid trying to sound like an old woman <laughs> at the <laughs> microphone. Like, oh my God, what am I doing? This, this seems so ridiculous. So just to like get myself out of my own head, I just started riffing uh, kind of based off of something that I'd heard. I think it was a stand-up comedian was was just kind of telling this like silly story. Like, oh my God, it sounds so funny when like older people say certain words. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try it just to kind of loosen myself up to get myself out of my own head. And um, Bobby started recording me just riffing this ridiculous story. Now, I don't know if that soundbite was specifically what landed me the role ultimately, but it certainly helped me in getting myself to just like shake out the butterflies, so to speak, and just do the voice. And I actually did it to such a degree that Alex came back and said, you're actually sounding a little too old now. Back it off just a little bit. So it was actually going <laughs> too hot, bit, too you know, cold. too far in that realm. And I just backed off of it a little bit. All right. Well, now let, let me see here. Um, well, it must have been the, the summer of 1862, I believe. Uh, I I do remember finger-banging, and, uh, oh, let me tell you, I was once finger-banged by Abraham Lincoln's nephew. Oh, oh my, quite a tall fellow he was. In fact, when he removed his riding glove, it was like a fistful of dicks. Uh, 
our heroine, everybody, Maya Santandrea. My concluding thoughts on this game are a great deal of warmth for a cold place. There's a massive amount of illusion going on, which if you look beneath the hood and see the puppet strings, make just the act of playing a video game feel like this weird theatre of give and take. On the one hand, it is throwing you in at the deep end and searching for you with its guards as you cower in a drainage ditch alone and unprepared. And on the other, you're in constant contact with concerned human voices, always urging you forwards, always trying to help, even if it's in this curious, answer my riddle style. It's almost a fairy tale of trials and allies. You're given toys to play with and people to best on the battlefield, and there's this weird emergent gameplay style of, you know, oh, I didn't expect that to happen, and I wonder if I did this, something would happen. Oh, it did! But then in a very unusual turn outside of an RPG, you're encouraged, as we've said, to feel pity for them and mourn their passing. As an emulation of cinema, it has dated like crazy. The budget of films in 1998 did not cover the kind of shenanigans you get to get up to here. Certainly not in this eccentric fashion. But in the 20 years since, sci-fi movies have gotten bigger and cannier and more meta and more funny and more out there, even when masquerading as crowd-pleasers. To release a film which hits this exact tone today would be asking for a box office bomb the like of Jupiter Ascending. Yet, in contradictory Kojima fashion, I still crave somebody taking the opportunity to do this. I, I get that, obviously, the whole point of Metal Gear Solid is its interactivity and the being able to do stuff yourself, but to make something wild and crazy and maybe unsuccessful, but something this sparky and thought-provoking with a more 21st century perspective added, maybe focus on Meryl as the young element pushing into the future with this old dinosaur snake reflecting on the past... I also definitely want to see this remade properly as a video game. Maybe use what Twin Snakes laid down and give it the same HD treatment as 2 and 3, or maybe starting again from the ground up. Get a whole new voice cast and score to pay homage, but also include the option to switch to the classic versions of the voice cast and score. You know how in Resident Evil 2 you can buy mm. the original score? I love that. That's great. I stuck that on as soon as we finished reviewing it. It's a museum piece, Metal Gear Solid and a flawed one, and in some ways that few want to admit it, its sequel, Sons of Liberty, was a braver and better game. Likewise, Snake Eater, which packs an emotional punch harder than most other games I've played, let alone its predecessors. I think we owe it to gaming history to preserve this and make it accessible to new generations, especially as it now seems like the sun has truly set on Kojima's influence over any potential future Metal Gears. Playing either the 1998 or 2004 version now may be a litany of interruptions, a picnic basket of frustrations over things that almost but not quite worked. But it's also a square window to the past and a lonely, solitary mission on a long, long night that Kojima and his team spent ensuring that we never felt entirely alone. A slick, silly, maddening, surprising, innovative, archaic, melancholy escapade Metal Gear Solid 